We're starting a series today that uh, I don't know how long it's going to go. I am excited about this. We haven't talked on finances in our church in, uh, in over a year and a half. So if you're visiting for the first time today and you're going, wow, there's no more money. We don't take an offering here. We don't pass the plate. Uh, oddly enough, we're doing better than we've ever done financially. So uh, I, I've been in services before where like the pastor passed the plate, they counted it before the service is over, and then they passed the plate again to make sure like, uh, that they can meet budget that month. This isn't one of those things. Like I'm really thankful for where we are as a church and the vision that God's given us. I have an update for you guys with some of the finances things that it's going on next week, which actually next week is going to be one of the, I, I think, better messages um, that I, I, I think we have. It's uh, really special, in my opinion. But this week, we're diving into some things that is really just important. And so today, as we're talking about money, I want to make sure you understand that um, whether you, you, you'd be willing to admit it or not, you, uh, you care about your money. And uh, I, I often just want to see God move in people's lives. And the hard thing is that people don't understand that one of the most special ways to see God move in your life is through your finances. Because the objective for me as your pastor is not to see like you have a Sunday morning experience with Jesus, but one of the most fascinating things about Christ is knowing that he's everywhere and everything in your life. And when God's moving on your life at Tuesday at Publix, that's when you have God in your life. It's like the coolest thing when all of a sudden like, I didn't have this, but God did this and whoa. And now he's moving into arenas and ways in your life that you didn't know was possible. Welcome to a relationship with a supernatural God that's crazy about you. And so some people have said, like, this isn't how God moves in my life. It is. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. And uh, so today, as we're talking about finances, please know our church is doing well. If you think that we need this, then go ahead and give your money somewhere else. I just want to see God move in your life in the arena of things that matter to you. And believe it or not, you care a lot more about finances than you believe. And so uh, this is going to be good. Let's pray. Whew. Jesus. Help. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Uh, my first point today about finances is, uh, is it's, it's, it's not a law. We're going to talk about tithing a little bit today and what that looks like. And uh, there's a lot of, of new teaching that goes around that says, like, tithing, it's old covenant, man. You ain't got to do that. That's not, that's not Christian. Let me just uh, let me help you with this understanding. Hey, uh, Greg, do you have a wallet on you today? Can I just borrow your wallet real quick? Let me just explain something that's Old Covenant, and uh, we're not under the law, so we don't need to do these things. This is Greg's wallet, and the Old Covenant said, thou shall not steal. So um, we're not, I'm not under the law, so thanks, Greg, for, uh, for your money here. You're, you are doing pretty well. I just want you to understand, uh, like, there are principles and patterns that the Lord would have us to understand that, like, we're not just going to ignore because we're a believer like, this is, it, this will never change, okay? And so there's concepts that says, like, I don't need to tithe because I'm not under the law. Okay, uh, this is not a requirement, tithing. Let me make sure you understand a couple things before I even start into this awesome passage that we're going to have to break down for you. This tithing won't get you into heaven, and, it, and not tithing won't keep you out. 
okay? There's not a salvation scenario set on it. The other thing is, tithing won't make you a member of our church. Uh, and the coolest part is, uh, because I, as a pastor, I don't know what you give, and I won't ever know. So I won't like you more if you give a lot or less or don't at all. Um, and so it's good for you to know that um, tithing won't like, make you a better like, attender with more value in your church. Uh, tithing is really just for you and Jesus. It does bless your church. It does help your church expand its vision. It does help your church move forward with the things and the dreams that the elders and the board has for your church. But it's not a requirement. Can we just start there? It's not a law. Y'all good? You still like me? All right, here we go. Cool, check this out. It's not a law. So actually, the place where it originated was way before any law was even written about what we should or should not do. In fact, in this passage it originated, there was Jesus. Let me take you there. I actually found this to be super fascinating when I dove into it and checked it out. This is in Genesis chapter 14, uh, verse 18 through 20, and it says this, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, he brought Abram some bread and some wine. you got to come back to that here in a thought. Some bread and some wine. I wonder what that was all about. Hmm. All right, and Melchizedek, then, this king and priest, he blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has, and blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. So Abram blessed, or Melchizedek blessed Abram, and then he blessed God. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered. You with me? What I love about this passage is there's this guy named Melchizedek here who, uh, if you were to go further into this, what we know is that he came with bread and wine and that he said a prayer over Abram. What I find in this passage that's important is Abraham would later become Abraham, and a big part of that was the start that happened here in this moment when Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Big part of Scripture here. Because Abram became Abraham, who had many sons, and many sons had father. Come on, y'all know it. And so, yeah. Okay, so here we go. So Abram, uh, he, what's important you understand is that Abraham didn't give a tenth of all of his possessions because God blessed him with all of his finances. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and because he was blessed, he then gave of, of his physical rewards. And I think that that's a super important scenario is that we don't wait to give when we are in a good place financially. And because I've received all of these things, we, we honor God with all of our goods because of what he's doing in here. This is the freedom we want to have. And freedom here should overflow into every other arena of your life. But let me tell you more about Melchizedek. In verse, uh, in Hebrews, the, the name Melchizedek is two parts. The first part of Melchizedek, Mel, Melak, means king. And the second part of Sadek, 
means righteousness. Melchizedek, who was a priest and a king, he literally was the king of righteousness. Sounds like someone you know. Wait, but this is Old Covenant. Check this out. Watch this. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, this whole chapter 7 is about the, the Melchizedek. And this is what it says about this dude. There was no record of his father or his mother or any of his ancestors. No beginning or no, uh, no end to his life. He remains a priest forever resembling the Son of God. Wait. So this guy Melchizedek had no mother or father and didn't have any kids. He just showed up out of nowhere. This king of righteousness says scripture. This isn't, this isn't coming from my opinion. I want you to please understand this. This is just God's word. So this guy with no parents, no kids, who is the king of righteousness, who is a king and a priest when they didn't actually have priests yet because no one broke the law, so no one needed someone to help them make right the law for them. He has no beginning and no end, and he remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. So this guy who showed up that blessed Abram received something Abram gave him a tenth of all that he had. I want you to understand, this isn't about the law. That's why it's a, my first point is, it's, this is it's not a law. This isn't a law. It wasn't, it wasn't originated as like a you must do this so you can be right with God. Like that's bad theology. It's the overflow. God's moving in your heart. Now, make room for God. Find God in your finances. I'm gonna come back to this. Point number one, it's not a law. Can you all say that with me? <laughs> okay. My second point, I found this to be fascinating. And so this was pretty cool for me. Um, most of my sermons, uh, I like first. <laughs> and they, they minister to me. So here you go. <laughs> Tithing is a test. Uh, initially, when I thought of this, I didn't like it. And it felt a lot like heresy. But the word tithe actually comes from the word tenth. You understand this? The word tenth. So it's the idea that we should give a 10% of our income. Now, to some, this is like, dude, you're just greedy. All right, we'll get there. I'm greedy. I can start there. I'll take it. Uh, Genesis chapter 31 it, this word 10, I, I, I did some research to check out, to check out like this concept of testing God with our finances. And in several places that I found the word test, I also found the word 10. And in scripture, there are patterns of words throughout the Bible. Three, seven, six, and 10. And what's really funny is every time I found the word 10, I found a test. And every time I found the word test, I found the word 10. So I just wanted to throw this out there to you. This is, this is not like doctrine. Don't build your house on this. This is, just comes from the theology of Tim. So don't build your house on it. Check this out. I feel like this is a test. Uh, in Genesis, the first place I found this is in 31, Genesis 31, verse 6. And here we have Jacob who uh, just married Leah and, and Rachel and had multiple kids, and he's being ripped off by his father-in-law again and again and again. They're, they're just butting heads, and Leban keeps on just like robbing this dude. Check this out. It says, You know how hard I have worked for your father, but he has cheated me 
changing my wages 10 times. But God has not allowed him to do me any harm. So it was like God wouldn't let Lieben actually physically hurt him, but he tested him again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And I just think that this is funny because really in my life, I feel like God is often testing me in the areas of my life is how much do you trust me? A lot of relationships of every kind is based on trust. And uh, the, Jacob had to find himself righteous again and again and again and again. And in the very next chapter, we would see Jacob's name transformed to Israel because he passed this test. All right, cool. Let's keep going. Uh, the next place I would find it is, is in the 10 plagues in Egypt when Moses would go before and say, let my people go. Nope. All right. You're going to have at it. And uh, this would go on and on and on. The next place I would find 10 is in the 10 commandments. And then the next place I would find 10 uh, is, uh, is here in Numbers chapter 14. And this is God speaking to Moses in the wilderness. Check this out. The Lord replied, this is God speaking. I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness who has disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on an oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Now it's important for you to remember this verse starts off with saying, I did forgive them. I did forgive them. So you're right with God. However, you tested me, and there's going to be a lack of breakthrough in your life. You still like me? Okay, 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 here we go. Here, here's, here's something pretty cool. Then the next place I found it that I thought was really rad is Daniel in chapter 1, verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, and water to drink. So Daniel is literally saying, hey God, will, uh, God is, Daniel first got this idea from the Lord as he's dialoguing with God, and he's in, he, he's, he's a slave in Babylon, and he's going, he's, he's resisting King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's saying, look, test God through my life for 10 days. Not a bad deal, right? All right, let's keep going. Uh, then I, I found it again in, uh, with the 10 virgins in Matthew chapter 25, where there would be five foolish virgins and five wise virgins that recognized that God was asking them to do something, and only five of them actually obeyed and found a massive literal breakthrough. The next place I found it was in Revelations chapter 2. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. For the devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. So I want you to see here is like, this is still happening these 10 days in this testing. And what I found is that literally in scripture, the most popular passage about tithing in all of the Bible happens to be in the Old Testament. It's in Matthew, uh, Malachi chapter 3 where this concept of testing and tithing 
are implied in the most crazy way. Verse 10, bring all of your tithes into the storehouse, which would be your church, so there will be enough food in the temple. If you do, the Lord of heaven's army says, I will open the heavens for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, and then the Lord says, put me to the test. This is cool. So I know we haven't talked about this in a year, in, in over a year and a half, and so uh, what's fascinating is there's a lot of people that have become new believers and a lot that are new to our church since we've talked about this last, so it's fascinating for me to remind you. Uh, your church isn't here for your money. We just want to see God move in your life. I want you to hear that, hear that, hear that, hear that. God's going to take care of us in the vision that we have. That's just what he does. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. So we're not like signing up to say we need you to do this. But it is my passion to see people's lights go on when they experience Jesus in every arena of their life. And when the Lord, this is the only place in scripture where the Lord says, test me. I dare you to test me. There are some churches that actually have like a, a, a three-month sign-up and we'll give your money-back guarantee on your tithe. I think that's a little weird, but, but I'm actually, listen, I'm just, before I keep going any further, uh, I double-dog dare you to try God in the arena of your life in the concept of tithing. And I know many of you are gonna say, I can't afford it. No one can afford to give massive amounts of their money away, but you can't afford to obey God. This is not based on your salvation. This is not a requirement for you to be part of our church. This is just something that you do between you and God. And he, there's a principle throughout all of scripture. It's called seed time and harvest. And when you put seed in the ground by faith, there's a harvest that comes in your life. I wanna, before I, I even move any further, I don't tithe so God blesses me. And I think that's a bad concept. But the Lord would say it here, test me and I will. But the motive of my heart is when I buy my wife flowers is not so that like, like she'll make out with me or like it's not like uh, the motive of my heart to bless her is so that she will be blessed. Out of the abundance of my heart, I give to God. Yeah. He blessed me and I want to bring something in my life back that would honor him. And this is an area of your life it's just an area. It's just one area of your life that God wants to move in. He wants to move in every area of your life. And so it's massively dangerous when we're holding any area of our life back from him. Jesus. I pray that even now your Holy Spirit begins moving on people. If there's one thing that we've learned is that we can trust you. We can trust you. Can't always trust church. Can't always trust man. I can trust you. And the leading of your spirit. Have your way in our lives, Lord. Okay, I have another point here that I, I think is super important. Um, I think it was one, two, three. I don't know. I, William, I'm going to go with the order that I gave you earlier. Um, and so uh, will you just put, uh, so the next point that I have is that it's not yours. 
Um, and so when I'm talking to you about, about like the 10% that God has for you, uh, that, that he's asking you to give, he's in Malachi chapter three, he's actually frustrated because the Lord is saying like, you're taking what's mine. Like I'm, I'm asking you to give 10% of, of the finances that I have blessed you with. Let me just show you this real quick. In, in, um, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 16 through 18, the Lord would say this. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. And he did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all of this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. I just got to let that sit for a second. The Lord has blessed you with anything in your life. He wanted you to know that you didn't earn it. This is not a popular American phrase. I earned this. No, Jack. I wish that you could understand what you earned in the sight of God. I have achieved all of this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to you, to your ancestors with an oath. And so I just want you to know that like there is a scenario of a, we have a prideful generation that believes like this is mine. And um, when I entered into marriage with my wife, we didn't like say this is mine and that's yours and you can do what you want. When we bought a house, it wasn't sections of the house that was mine and hers. So when I, I want you to understand, like the way relationship works is everything that I have is yours. Everything you have is mine. That's relationship. When you have a great friend that is in your life and you invite them to your house, there comes a point where you want them to feel comfortable. Like, hey, can I have a drink? Of course you can. Just go help yourself, man. I mean, we're, we're, we're. Well, there's a scenario with Jesus. When we entered into relationship with him, there wasn't like, hey, Lord, this was yours. This is mine. That's bad, stinking thinking. I'm going to show you here in a second. So, but the Lord would say this um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. You must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Uh, this is a this is this is not a requirement. It's not a law. It should be the overflow of your life. And it is really exciting when you're in a supermarket or somewhere odd and all of a sudden you want to do like a Holy Ghost dance because you realize God loves you in a scenario where you're just looking at a bag of Doritos. It's cool when God moves in your life in the area of finances. And so this is what I think you should, here's another really important factor that's not about the law. Proverbs is not a book of law, it's a book of wisdom, okay? A book of wisdom. So this would be wise for you to understand this principle. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. You get that? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part. I don't know about you, but I believe in my life the best part is the first part. I give the Lord the first of everything I make. I want to make sure that before I pay my mortgage, before I pay my car, before I go, 
Like, otherwise, what happens is you end up giving the Lord your leftovers. And this is where it's dangerous as an American. We're going to talk about this next week in a massive, powerful, life-changing way. I think a lot of people are wondering why we're struggling in our relationship with God. And it's because we have established our life and are trying to figure out how God gets the leftovers. But that's not Christianity. This is, this is an American Christianity where you just show up to church for one hour a week and that's your relationship with God. Bull honky. Like, you know, like, um, that's not like reality. The reality is, is like, Jesus is the creator of everything. He doesn't get like my leftovers. He gets my best. My life revolves around him. So this is what Jesus would say about your giving. Oh, this is, this is my favorite. Here. As you know, the mission of our church is to make disciples. So I close with this. Deb, would you come? Man, I'm really excited about this verse. Luke chapter 14. This is the discipleship passage where he's going to talk about all the ways, like if you want to be my disciple, you've got to do this. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to do this. If you want to follow me, this is what your life looks like. And he says this. Uh, don't, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started that building and can't afford to finish it. Or what king would go out to war against another king without first setting down his counselors to discuss whether or not their army of 10,000 could possibly defeat the 20,000 soldiers that are marching against them? And if he can't, then he'd send a delegate over there to discuss terms of peace with the enemy, which is still far away. And he goes on to say this, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. So please understand, the Lord isn't actually commanding you to give 10%. But if he's your Lord, he's asking for 100%. Welcome to marriage. This is a relationship with Jesus. And what's funny to me is that when we struggle with arguing with God for 10%, when he gave 100% of his life for us, I think that should just put in perspective of the love that he has for him and the love that we have for him. He's not asking for 10%. He's asking for your life. And many of us, what happens is in our life, we find ourselves in these seasons where like, watch this. Hey God, I, I don't understand what's wrong with my finances. Why aren't you providing? Because you never invited me into the arena of finances. Or you'll find yourself in a situation where my marriage is in trouble. Why, didn't, why aren't you involved in it? Because you never involved me in your relationship with your marriage. So what happens is when everything falls apart and we build our life on the sand and our house crumbles, then we go to God and say, God, where are you? If you build your house on the rock, we do it the Lord's way. He's not asking you for 10%. That would be a cheap gospel. That's not what Jesus said. We give 100% of our life, 100% of my finances. I need you to know as your pastor, I tithe. And that's the beginning of my giving. I give to the church. 
I give to other people. We buying stuff for, for homeless. We're buying stuff for, for, for the kids pack that we just did last week. Like giving happens in my life all the time because I'm blessed. I don't buy all these things that I want in my life and then figure out how to fit God into it. I give my life to Jesus. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I think, uh, I, I, I gotta be honest, this is really bad, and Brady will probably be upset with me, but I, I don't care if you give your tithe to the way or at all, but I do care that I want you to see Jesus in your life. I want you to find God's provision. And when you're sacrificing for him who sacrificed for you, it's easier to see the areas where you're blessed. Because when you couldn't afford to give, but now all of a sudden tires are on sale, buy two, get two free, I didn't expect that. This isn't about money. This is about my life. Some things that are not right right now, and what's going on in your life, and you want to see God move in your life. You want to know Him, and today you may be realizing that you're you're holding some things back. Maybe I'm not. It, what you're hearing the Holy Spirit say has nothing to do with money. It has something to do with I don't know. Today, the Lord doesn't want ten percent of your life, or ten percent of your week or 10% of of your language, or 10% of your television, or 10%, he wants 100% of you. And mostly, he's only after your finances because he's after your heart. We're just so fixed on finances that we can't shake this addiction that we have and this need for more. 